Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. Certainly is good for us to be together on this Lord's Day to worship our God in spirit and in truth. I'm so happy to see all of you here this morning as we now move into the part of our worship where we study from the Word of God. I want to ask you to get your Bibles out, get a copy of the Word of God out, and go back to where our scripture reading was this morning in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Go back in your Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. I want you to notice how in those passages where the Gary read for us this morning, we learned some critical information about a man named Uzziah. We learned that Uzziah was only 16 years old when he became the king of Judah, and he reigned for 52 years. We learn that he did right in the sight of the Lord, according to verse number 4. We learn that he continued to seek God in the days of a man of God named Zechariah. According to verse number 5, we learn that he experienced a lot of prosperity and a lot of success during his reign. In fact, beginning with verse number 6 and going all the way down to verse number 15, we see exactly what kind of success he experienced. In verse 6, we see that he went out and he warred against the Philistines, the arch rivals of Israel, and he was able to break down their walls. In verse number 7, we see that he experienced success against the Philistines and against the Arabians and the Minyunites. In verse number 8, we see that the Ammonites, Ammonites gave him tribute, and his fame extended even to the very border of Egypt. Beginning in verse number 9, we see that during his time as king, he was able to fortify his kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. We see that he was able to build towers and towers and more towers. We see that he had, he had much livestock and fertile fields. We see that he had an extremely powerful army. We see that he had thousands and thousands of valiant warriors who had in their possession some of the best weapons available. In fact, in verse number 15, it says that when he was king in Jerusalem, he, Uzziah, made engines or machines of war invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners for the purpose of shooting arrows and great stones. Talk about some, some great military technology during that time. I mean, based on those first 15 verses of 2 Chronicles 26, there is no doubt that King Uzziah was a very successful king at the beginning of his reign. There is no doubt that under his leadership, the people of God, the people of Judah, were able to experience a lot of victories and have a lot of success. And for those who may be wondering why Uzziah experienced so much success at the beginning of his reign, I want to encourage you to look carefully at the text of Scripture. Look carefully at the end of verse number 5. At the end of verse 5, it says, As long as he, Uzziah, sought the Lord, God prospered him. Notice verse number 7 says, God helped him. God helped him against the Philistines and the Arabians and, and the Minyunites. Notice how the scripture, the scripture is clear when it says 
That the reason why Uzziah experienced so much success as a king at the beginning of his reign was because of God. It's because God was with him. It's because God was blessing him with, with all this success and, and prosperity. Uzziah is a great example of someone who started out well with God. He started out with a relationship with God. He started out walking with God. He started out with a lot of potential and a lot of promise. But notice what the text goes on to tell us, beginning with verse number 16. After giving us a very detailed account of all the successful things that Uzziah was able to do in the beginning of his reign as king, in verse number 16 it says, But when he, Uzziah, became strong, his heart was so what? Proud, lifted up, that he acted corruptly, and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Then Azariah the priest entered after him, with, and with him eighty priests of the Lord, valiant men. They opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you've been unfaithful, and you will have no honor from the Lord God. But Uzziah with a censer in his hand for burning incense was enraged. And while he was enraged with the priest, the leprosy, the leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest and the house of the Lord beside the altar of incense. Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him. And behold, he was leprous on his forehead and they hurried him out of there. And he himself also hastened to get out because the Lord had smitten him. King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, has written. So Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the grave, which belongs to the kings, for they said he's a leper. And Jotham, his son, became king in his place. Notice how what starts out as a great success story in the Bible ends in tragedy. It ends in pain. It ends with a man being cursed and smitten by God because he fell prey to a sin that is at the core of most sins, and that is the sin of pride. The sin of pride. The Bible says that as Uzziah increased in power and strength and success, he became proud. He became lifted up. He became puffed up to the point to where he went somewhere he was not supposed to go. And he did something that he was not supposed to do. You see, the law of God was clear when it said that only the priest. Only the priest of God could do what Uzziah was doing on that occasion. Only the priest of God could be in the temple, burning incense on the altar of incense. This was something that the chief priest, Azariah, and 80 other righteous priests told Uzziah to his face. They courageously told Uzziah to his face that he had no right to be in the temple doing what he was doing on that occasion. And their rebuke certainly enraged him. 
It certainly angered him. It certainly made him very bitter. But before he could do anything as far as punishment goes on these priests, the scripture says that God struck him with leprosy on his forehead and he had to spend the rest of his life in isolation. God punished this man severely because he got a big head. Because he got full of himself, because he got full of pride and arrogance. And let me just ask you, has it ever happened to you before? Has it ever been a battle that you have had to fight before? Could that be a battle that you're having to fight right now in your life? I want to suggest this morning that there are some clear indicators if you're currently fighting the battle with pride, and the first indicator is this. The first indicator of pride is comparing yourself to other people. Comparing your quote-unquote righteousness to the righteousness and works of other people. I'm going to my Bible to Luke, the 18th chapter. Do you remember the parable Jesus told about the Pharisee and the tax collector? Do you remember that parable in Luke, the 18th chapter? In Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse number 9, in Luke 18 and verse 9, it says, And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous, and they viewed others with contempt. He says, two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes, all that I get. Notice how Jesus describes this, this man here in this parable. Notice how Jesus describes this this Pharisee, this, this highly respected religious leader of his day, notice how this man is, is clearly prideful. He, he's clearly arrogant. He is clearly rehearsing all of the righteous works he's done in his life, acting as though God owes him something because he did those things. He says that in his mind, he feels that he is so much better than, than all the other people because he, he fasts. He's better than that tax collector because he, he fasts twice a week. He, he pays tithes of all that he gets. He prays. He stays away from adultery and, and, and dishonesty and other forms of unethical behavior. This man is clearly exalting himself by comparing himself to other people. And if we're not careful, my friends, we can find ourselves being just like him. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves saying things like, well, well, you know, because I know so much about the Bible. Because I've been studying the Bible so long, because I've baptized X number of people. Because I give so much money on Sunday. Because my kids and my grandkids have turned out to be so faithful because I'm so well spoken of by people in the brotherhood. Then you know what that means? That means I'm just so spiritual. I'm just so righteous. I'm just so good. I'm just so much better than most people in the kingdom of God. In fact, the kingdom of God needs me. The kingdom of God needs people like me. It's lacking without people like me. You see, comparing ourselves to others 
It's a clear indicator of pride, and so is overconfidence. Overconfidence, I mean, isn't that exactly what happened to Uzziah? Going back to the text, once Uzziah started experiencing great success and growth in his kingdom, the Bible says he started feeling untouchable. He started feeling invincible. He started feeling like he could do whatever he wanted as a king and there were going to be no consequences. He could even go into the temple and burn incense on the altar of incense. That's how overconfident he became in his life. And that same thing can happen to us. That same thing can happen to me, and it can also happen to you. Like Uzziah, we too can find ourselves becoming overconfident and thinking that we are untouchable. We can find ourselves saying things like, well, you know, I can hang out with those ungodly friends, and and they're not going to rub off on me. I can be alone in the bedroom with my boyfriend or my girlfriend, and and nothing's going to happen. I can flirt some with my co-worker as a married man, and nothing's going to come of that. I can go to that party where I know there's going to be drinking and and dancing going on, and and nothing's going to happen to me. Satan's not going to get me. I'm too strong to do the kind of things that those people are going to be doing. You see, when we're overconfident, We can find ourselves thinking that we're stronger than we really are. And you know what else we can find ourselves doing? We can also find ourselves no longer trying to grow in Christ. We can also find ourselves thinking that we've reached a point in our lives where we know all there is to know about the Bible and we no longer need to study. We no longer need to prepare for Bible class. We no longer need to do a daily Bible reading schedule. We no longer need to follow along with the preacher when he's preaching and and taking a few notes and making some application. We're too smart to have to do that kind of stuff. We've been Christians for far too long to have to do that kind of stuff. We have every part of a book that comes from the mind of God mastered, and there's nothing new for us to learn. Overconfidence. That is a key indicator of pride in our lives. And so is an unwillingness to self-evaluate. So, so is an unwillingness to look ourselves in the mirror and evaluate how we may have conflicts and the relationships we possess in our lives and asking ourselves, you know what? Am I the problem? Am I the cancer? Am I the the, the source of all these problems I find myself in in my relationships since I because I am the one that's usually in the center of them? I'm usually the one smack dab right in the middle of all of these conflicts. I want to go in my Bible to first Kings, the 18th chapter. When you go in your Bible to first Kings 18, I can't think about this point without also being reminded of King Ahab. Remember King Ahab? He is one of the most wicked kings of Israel. In fact, not only was he a wicked man, but his wife was wicked as well. Remember, his wife is Jezebel. Well, King Ahab is reigning as king during the time of the prophet Elijah. And if you remember, Elijah prayed to God that it wouldn't rain in Israel for three years, and it didn't rain. And that lack of rain resulted in a famine. God was punishing Israel. He was punishing Ahab because of his wickedness. 
And so in 1 Kings 18, after this three-year period is, is, is almost over, the Bible says in verse number 17 that Elijah the prophet went out to meet Ahab. And in verse 17 it says, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? Is this you, you troubler of Israel? What a bizarre and twisted thing for him to say. What, what a crazy thing for Ahab to say. I mean, the Bible is clear that it was because of his disobedience and his idolatry that Israel was experiencing all this bad stuff. And yet he blames he blames the prophet. He blames Elijah. He calls Elijah the troubler of Israel when the truth was he was the troubler of Israel. He was the source of Israel's problems. He was the king who had angered God more than any king before him. You see, Ahab was a man so full of pride that he refused to, to self-evaluate himself. He, he refused to consider his own faults and his own sins when it came to the problems that were going on in Israel. And how many times do people today fall into that same trap? How many times do people who have constant problems in their marriages wind up going to some kind of professional counselor or spiritual leader and all they do in those sessions is spend the, spend the entire time pointing out a list of faults in their spouse hoping that the person they're talking to will straighten their spouse out. I didn't do anything wrong, it's all on them. How many times do brethren in a local church gripe and complain about how unwelcomed and isolated they feel from the group, while at the same time being among the very first people to zip right to their car as soon as the last act of worship is concluded. How many times have you heard someone complain about the lack of growth or conversions in a church while at the same time never seeking to do any kind of evangelism themselves? They never invite they never try to have any Bible studies, but they all complain and gripe. You see, an unwillingness to self-evaluate. That is a key indicator of pride, and so is an immediate rejection of correction. An immediate rejection of correction. I mean, isn't that exactly what Uzziah did? Isn't that exactly what Uzziah did when those 80 priests came to him? And they told him, hey, what you're doing is wrong. God is not pleased with this. Did not Uzziah get angry when those priests came to him? Did he not demonstrate an attitude that suggests that, that he felt he was above correction? He felt that nobody had a right to tell him that what he was doing was wrong because he was the king. He rejected correction. And have you ever found yourself? Doing that before in your life? Have you ever found yourself getting upset whenever a Christian, another Christian, maybe an elder, a shepherd in the church, pulls you aside and says something like, hey, I want to talk with you about some concerns I have about stuff you're putting on social media right now. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's contributing to unity among 
the brethren. I need to talk with you about that. I need to talk with you about how you're dressing. I need to talk with you about your attire. It, it doesn't seem like the kind of stuff you're wearing is fitting for the life of a Christian. I want to talk with you about that. I want to talk with you about your attendance. I want to talk with you about how you seem like you're hit and miss for worship services. I want to see what can I do to help you with that. Hey, have you ever had a, a shepherd or just another Christian in general come to you and, and want to talk with you about those kinds of things? And if you've gone through that, did you find yourself getting immediately upset? Did you find yourself getting immediately angry and bitter and refusing to consider anything they have to say? Because in your mind, you're right. In your mind, you are above correction. You're above admonition. No one has the right to question your behavior. Not even a shepherd in the church. You should be able to do whatever you want to do. Rejecting correction. That is a clear indicator of pride. And so is refusing to repent. Refusing to repent to God. I mean, I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine just how different Uzziah's story would have turned out probably if he just if he had just repented. I mean, if he had just repented right there on the spot. If he had been willing to admit failure, if he had been willing to say to those priests, please, priests, pray to God on my behalf. I beg you, I'm wrong. I shouldn't be doing this right now. You're right. If Uzziah had been willing to do that kind of stuff, maybe, just maybe he would have been spared. Maybe, just maybe, he would not have been stricken by God with leprosy. Maybe, just maybe, he could have avoided having to spend the rest of his life in isolation. Maybe Uzziah's story would have turned out different. If he had been willing to repent and change instead of becoming angry and arrogant, the question is, what about you? What about me? What, what about us? Like Uzziah, are we currently harboring some sin in our lives and, and we're unwilling to repent? We're unwilling to change. We're unwilling to reform our lives and seek the Lord's forgiveness or seek the forgiveness of somebody we've done wrong. Could that describe us right now? If it does, then we need to understand we got hearts full of pride. We got hearts full of arrogance. We got hearts full of selfishness, and we can't go to heaven like that. We can't serve God like that. We can't expect, expect to please God on any level like that. We need to change. We need to rise above selfish pride. We need to replace selfish pride that's in our hearts with, with humility. We, we need to stop comparing ourselves and comparing our quote-unquote righteousness to the righteousness of other people, and we need to just start remembering who we are. We need to remember who we are in the eyes of the Lord. We go back to that parable that Jesus tells us in Luke, the 18th chapter. I want to finish that, if you don't mind, please. 
because there's a second man that Jesus talks about in that account. He talks about the self-righteous Pharisee in verses 9 through 12, but in verse number 13 of Luke 18, Jesus says, but the tax collector, the tax collector standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went away to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Notice how the person, the person that Jesus commends here in this passage, it's not the Pharisee. It's not the highly respected religious leader. The highly respected religious leader he didn't find favor with the eyes in the eyes of God on this occasion. Instead, the person who found God's favor was the tax collector. It wasn't the Pharisee. Instead, it was the tax collector. The tax collector found favor in the eyes of God because unlike the Pharisee, he was humble. He was poor in spirit. He understood just how little he was in the eyes of God. He understood that no matter how many good works he may have done in his life, he didn't deserve the grace and the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. He didn't deserve to have a relationship with God. He certainly didn't deserve to go to heaven to be with God. This man clearly understood who he was in the eyes of God. And we need to understand, understand the same thing today. Like this man, brothers and sisters, we also need to understand this morning. That no matter how long we've been Christians. And no matter how many worship services we may have attended, and no matter how many prayers we've made, and no matter how many good works we've done in our lives, at the end of the day, we're still just a bunch of forgiven sinners who don't deserve the grace and love and mercy of God. We're just a bunch of people who are trying to do our best to serve God, and we're not better than anyone else. We're not better than the person in front of us or behind us or beside us. We're not better than anyone else in the kingdom. We're just a bunch of, unf uh, just a bunch of forgiven sinners who don't deserve the love and grace that God has to offer. Humility involves remembering who we are. And it also involves being cautious. Humility involves being cautious, not overconfident. I'm reminded of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 12. In 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and in verse number 12, the apostle Paul gives us this admonition. He says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Paul there is warning us against being overconfident. Don't think you're stronger than you really may be. I also like what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, in 1 Peter the 5th chapter, and in verse number 6, Peter says to the people of God, 1 Peter 5 and verse 6, Therefore, humble yourselves, humility notice, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, 
that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, but resist him. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Notice how unlike the overconfident person who believes that he can flirt with sin and temptation without caving in. The person who is humble. The person who's truly trying to please the Lord. He does exactly what Peter's talking about there in those verses. He never underestimates the lure of Satan and sin. He, he, he never sees how close he can get to the spiritual cliff without falling off. Instead, he's always sober. He's always alert. He's always doing the best he can to be firm in his faith. He knows that if he's not rock solid and firm in his faith, that roaring lion, the devil, will take him places and get him to do things that he never thought he would do. The humble person doesn't flirt with sin and temptation, and he also never reaches a point in his life where he feels that he's above growing. No matter how long he's been a Christian, no matter how many times he's read the Bible, and study the Bible, no matter how many sermons he may have heard, no matter how many verses that he can quote, no matter how many Bible classes he may have taught, the humble Christian lives his entire life understanding that there's always room for me to grow. There's always room for me to improve. There's always room for me to learn more and more and more. There's always room for me to become more like my Savior, Jesus Christ. Humility involves being cautious, not overconfident, and it also involves a willingness to self-evaluate. A willingness to evaluate my relationships and the problems I may have in my relationships and just ask myself, could I be the problem? Could I be the source of all the conflict in my relationships? Am I doing my part in the kingdom of God? Am I doing my part as a Christian? Or am I merely just a grumbler and a complainer? Do I possess? Do I possess the qualities of Jesus? In Philippians 2 and verse number 3, do I have the qualities of unselfishness? And humility, and do I regard the needs and feelings of others as more important than my own? Before pointing a finger and blaming other people for the problems in my life, if I'm going to be a humble servant of God, I need to be willing to evaluate myself. I need to be willing to understand that when it comes to my relationships, I'm really the only person that I can control. I'm the only person that I can change. I need to be willing to look myself in the mirror and make sure that I'm doing my best to be like my Savior, Jesus Christ. Humility involves constant self-evaluation. And let's just add to that, it also involves humbly accepting correction. 
not rejecting correction, but humbly accepting the correction. Will you go in your Bible, please, to Acts the 18th chapter? I want to show you something in Acts chapter 18, please. In Acts the 18th chapter, we learn about a man named Apollos. Remember Apollos? Well, in Acts 18 and verse number 20 and verse number 23, or verse number 24, I'm sorry. Acts 18, 24. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, Notice what the Bible says about him. An eloquent man came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out loudly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They helped him understand that John's baptism is not in force anymore. Now you must be baptized in the name of Jesus. Verse 27, And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. I got to tell you, I really like I really like the attitude of Apollos on this occasion. Do you like it? I love it. I, I, I really like how even though he was a great speaker of the word of God, even though he was eloquent, even though he was mighty in the scriptures, even though he came from a very sophisticated place like Alexandria, Egypt, he didn't feel like he was above correction. He didn't feel like he was above being made better for the Lord. When Priscilla and Aquila, a righteous married couple, came to him to talk to him about a very important spiritual matter, he didn't close his ear to them. He, he didn't get defensive. He didn't scream at them. He didn't shout. He didn't say, how dare you two people come and, and try to tell me something? He didn't say any of that kind of stuff to them. Instead, you know what he did? He listened to what they had to say. He valued their thoughts. He received their correction, and he was made a better servant of God as a result of that. This example teaches us that whenever a member of our spiritual family comes to us with concerns, about some things that we may be doing that is hindering our spiritual growth. Or maybe it's not displaying the love of Christ, or maybe it's just plain wrong and sinful. Instead of closing our ears and refusing to listen to what those people have to say, we need to listen. We need to seriously consider what they're saying. We need to maybe even accept what they're saying, because if we do, we will grow and become better for Jesus. Humility involves remembering who we are, being cautious, constantly self-evaluating ourselves, accepting correction, and then finally, it also involves repentance. It also involves reformation and change. Remember Uzziah's pride. His pride kept him from repenting over something that he was clearly doing wrong, and the result of that is he was stuck with leprosy. He was stuck with a dreadful skin disease 
for the rest of his life. And in our case, if we follow in his footsteps, if we refuse to repent and admit fault before God and we're clearly doing things that are wrong, we're going to be stuck with something far worse than leprosy. We're going to be stuck with something far worse than a physical, a physical disease. Instead, we're going to be stuck in our sins. We're going to be stuck with a barrier between us and God. We're going to be stuck with the consequences of our sins, which Paul says in Romans 6 and verse 23 is spiritual death. That's how serious. That's how serious pride is. The question is, if we're dealing with it in our lives right now, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about pride? Are, are we going to choose to rise above it? Are we going to choose to do better? Are we going to choose to repent and change if there's someone here who's not a Christian? Or are you going to choose to finally submit to the gospel? Or are you going to leave here in your pride? Or are you going to leave here letting pride Stand between you and going to heaven. If there would be someone here this morning who's never responded to the gospel. And you're willing to humble yourself before God and make things right with him. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. We're going to sing a song in just a few seconds. And you'll have an opportunity to humble yourself and submit to the teachings of Jesus. You have an opportunity to believe in him. And repent of your sins and obey his commandment in Mark 16 and verse 16 to be baptized so that you can be saved. Or if there's a Christian here and maybe you've been struggling with pride or some other kind of sin. If you're willing to humble yourself before God and ask us to pray with you and to pray for you. God will bless you and we certainly will be more than happy to encourage you. Whatever spiritual needs you may have this morning. If there's anyone here who needs to come to the Lord in any way. Don't hesitate. Come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing.